Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a podcast for fans of Arkham Horror the Card Game. I'm your host Frank, and this is another one of my first look episodes. That's right, they're back. We're in a new cycle. I don't normally first look deluxes, but I do like to first look mythos packs. And here we are again with The Search for Kadath, the first mythos pack in the Dream Eater cycle. Spoiler alert, I found it. The search is over. It was at my local game shop, and I found Kadath as well as the cards. But here we are. We're doing a first look. I've got to confess, I've been really excited about this because I'm slightly changing how I do first looks insofar as I'm not trying to get them out on release day. And I've just taken that little bit of pressure off myself to do that because my life is quite busy at the moment. And it's made me feel really excited about first looking when I sort of get a quiet half an hour. So I've been for a climb this morning. I've got a coffee. I'm feeling physically tired and mentally sharp. And I'm just really looking forward to diving in and seeing what's here. If this is a chance to start a conversation about some of the cards, then that's the goal, really. It's not about my views being the comprehensive, total, final view on these cards. I hope that my views are a little bit evaluative and we think about whether or not the cards have value. But I'm aware that there's always so much to cover. And I think that kind of underpins what we're doing with Drawn to the Flame, We're not trying to be the last word, we're trying to be the first few words to keep the conversation going. So at this juncture, if you're new to first looks, it's about me opening the pack and taking a look at the cards for the first time. I've avoided all the spoilers I could. We've seen some cards announced by FFG, we've seen some podcasts in other places announce cards, so I'm aware that there are cards out there. And I'm aware then that means that probably there are only a few that I don't know about, but that's okay. We'll just check them out. I also just want to do a shout out right now to anyone who's become a patron of this cast. It means so much to me and Peter. It's been so valuable. It's such a vote of confidence in what we're doing. And I'm really, really grateful for the conversations that our patrons are having on our Discord around the game. It's a really incredible place to talk about the game, to share ideas, to interrogate why we play the way we play and realise that there are different ways of playing. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's really invaluable to me. So... Thanks, patrons. You're awesome. Final thing before I start, I've had it stuck in my head, that um, song Road Tripping by the Red Hot Chili Peppers, which you can change the word road tripping for first looking, and it works really well, because it would be first looking with my two favourite allies, fully loaded, we've got stocks and supplies. Works quite well, right? Maybe I should start working on that. Okay, no more chit-chat. Let's do this. The first card is... First Watch. It's a one-cost Guardian event, zero XP. Intellect and agility icons. It's tactic traded. Fast. Play when the drawing counter card step of the Mythos phase would begin. That's step three after place Doom and check Doom. Instead of resolving that step, look at the top X cards of the encounter deck, where X is the number of investigators. Deal those cards among the investigators as you wish, dealing no more than one card to each investigator other than yourself. Then, one at a time, each investigator draws the cards dealt to them. Not a great card for solo. You're paying one resource and a card to not draw an encounter card, instead to look at the top encounter card and then deal it to yourself. This is not a good Guardian solo card. So, it fits in with Stand Together, Leadership, Teamwork... There's quite a few Guardian cards that care about being part of a team, and that's part of their theme of protecting people. In two-player, you get to look at two cards, and you've got 
two choices then. You can each take one card, or the person who's played first watch could take both cards to themselves, because you can do no more than one card to each investigator other than yourself. So in two-player, there is some use there, and you might argue that there's a use around, say you see an enemy and a treachery, making sure that the person who's ready to deal with the enemy gets the enemy, and the person who can handle the treachery gets the treachery. But you've got to really know your deck and really be able to say, well, definitely all of the treacheries will be bad for me right now, so you really need them. And that plan kind of falls apart as soon as you see two enemies or two nasty treacheries, unless it's the other person that really can't handle anything. If the other person in your party of two really can't handle anything, why are you playing with them? Like, What's gone so badly wrong that they can't handle it? That I don't like at all. So that leads us nicely to three plus players. And that's where I think this card starts to sing. We've mentioned this card quite a few times on recent episodes, actually, because I think it's got Peter and me quite excited. The, the possibilities that I like are one, one player deciding to tank a load of encounter cards to free up the rest of the party. So I play first watch, I see two enemies and two treacheries. Maybe one of the treacheries is a damage dealing treachery, like a grasping hands or any other treachery that does damage. Maybe something's like an obscuring fog, or I just played uh, Pallid Mask yesterday, so maybe it's something that's going to attach to your location, like Spirit's Torment or the Pit Below. You're like, yep, pile everything on me, I don't care. You take all four cards, and that frees up your entire team to do other things. That's kind of cool. Similarly, you can do that really selective thing where you give the willpower test to the mystic, you give the enemy to the evader or the fighter, you give an intellect test to the seeker. A bit of balancing is nice. I think where it's hard to evaluate this card, or where the, the hidden value of this card, is that one of the tenets of the game is you deal with what you draw. And this card says, well, no, you don't have to do that. Scrying also does that. Scrying also says, let's pick and choose what you deal with. Evaluating that as an ability is quite it's quite hard to pin down, I would say. Partly because that's a kind of nebulous concept of what if there was a card that made you get to choose what you drew. Does that is it better than just cancelling a card? No. But is it better in terms of efficiency for actions you would save, recovering from whatever penalty you've taken from that treachery, the actions the fighter saves, not having to engage the enemy before they fight them, depending on what weapon they're using. There's all of those factors that are quite hard to to nail down. But then the other thing is, aren't we building decks to be able to handle what the encounter deck throws at us? And First Watch sort of says, if you're four specialists, I'll really help you out. But if you're four generalists who are ready to, to take the hits, I'm not, I'm not feeling it. Where does that leave me? It leaves me excited about trying the card, but understanding that it's a, maybe a niche card, and maybe there are more applications than I can think of at the moment where it might be really good. A shout out to Peter's idea as well of it being an endgame card, where you, you play it, one character takes all of the hits from whatever the treacheries and enemies they get to free up your clue getters, whether they're seekers, rogues, survivors, clearing a final location and, and advancing the act and finishing. And that, that could be a kind of kamikaze card like that. Kamikaze, is that an appropriate word? Suicide, yeah. So that's first watch. Next is daring. This is a guardian skill. It's also zero XP, triple wild icons, which is pretty nice. It's innate traded, which means Silas can take this. Uh, the art is of 
someone who looks like quite a smart gentleman. It could be Roland, to be honest with you. He's in sort of little circular spectacles. He's got a gun and a trench coat. I actually, I think this as an art piece is really cool. I quite like it as a playmat. The background is kind of ochre wall and huge shadows looming over this person. One that looks almost like a spike coming towards him. Very nice by Colin Boyer. It reads, Commit only to a skill test during an attack or evasion attempt against an enemy. So those triple wild icons, it's not as handy as take the initiative straight away because this is limited to attack and evasion. That enemy gains retaliate and alert for the duration of this skill test. After this test ends, draw one card. Now I knew about this card already because another cast announced it, so go check out the Mythos Busters. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're this other podcast. They're kind of a in our shadow fledgling cast learning the ropes a bit but if you want to go check them out sometimes they do good content and they've talked about this card i got excited about this card when i saw it because i thought wow could we do one of these for each faction and i don't think we're going to get that but it's still pretty nice i think chucking this into a an attack and getting plus three as a guardian like the the retaliate doesn't really matter and that's normally going to guarantee your hit Sometimes you might not even need plus three, and you'd be wondering why you're using it. I also don't mind chucking a plus three for a cheeky evade in people who can take it. So Skids goes up to seven evading with this. Tommy or Roland go up to five evading with this, if there's that sort of panic button evade. Again, if you're getting so high over the threshold, adding a negative benefit for failure, a negative benefit, adding a negative condition to failure... To, to my mind, doesn't feel too bad, but that's maybe because I'm an optimist. I like knuckle dusters. They add retaliate to an enemy, and if I can get my combat regularly high enough, it doesn't matter if I've added retaliate or not. Speaking of which, does Tony like this? Maybe not to evade, but maybe to, to succeed by two. So if he's using any succeed by two tech, this is giving him a plus three. Maybe he doesn't care about retaliate because he's so high over the threshold. You know, With, with all of these... I suppose the caveat is until you pull Tentacle or until you pull a token that has an effect that doesn't care if you succeed or fail. At that point, yeah, that's kind of nasty. I think Silas likes it as well because he fights or evades at seven with this. He can pull it back from his hand. If he pulls an Elder Sign on a fight or evade check, he can commit it from his discard pile. But I think that's nice. Oh, and then it does have this small little bit of text at the end. After this test ends, draw one card. Not whether you're successful or whether you fail. Just it's a guarantee that this replaces itself. That, to me, really ups the power of this card. You know, one of the nice things about the neutral skills are that they replace themselves. So you're getting a plus two and you get a card for their place if you succeed. And now that I play the neutral skills far less, I do sometimes miss that little bit of draw ability that you you chuck in guts, you pass a willpower test, and it gives you another card fueling your way through the next investigation phase. This is similar. You you punch a rats, or I mean, you're giving yourself a big boost to punch a rats. You maybe punch something that you want. You want something of a boost to hit. You land it, and you get another card. So it keeps fueling icons. Like that's the sleeper bit that I think is really good. And if we see other factions getting cards similarly, like that's a really powerful skill that it replaces itself. The next is the Dream Diary Untranslated. Ah, yay. Art by Herman Nobile. It's two-cost asset. It's Seeker. It has a willpower icon. Is it a tome? It is a tome. Item, tome, and charm. Hmm. Now, charms. Charms are the poor man's relic, aren't they? Charms are things that might have 
power, but it's more in the eye of the beholder in the way that relics have actual power. So a charm is like the Holy Rosary. Uh, St. Hubert's Key, I think, is a charm as well, rather than a relic. It's about belief rather than about inbuilt power, I think. Okay, what does this do? It takes up a hand slot. Action. Search your bonded cards for essence of the dream and add it to your hand. Reaction. After you succeed by three or more during a skill test to which essence of the dream is committed, record in your campaign log that you have interpreted the dreams. So I pay two and play this card. I then spend another action and get essence of the dream to my hand. And then in a future test, I'm going to commit essence of the dream, whatever it is. I'm going to try and succeed by three or more to that test. And if I do, I've interpreted the dreams. Now, Peter and I were talking about cards that this cycle might contain, and one idea we had was for a dream diary. We thought it would be a cool way of storing cards, maybe for someone like Patrice, where you can store a card every turn and then they come back into your hand. A little bit like the Crystallizer of Dreams as well. Uh, An idea that cards in hand are inspiration and being able to record them in your dream diary might be cool. Obviously, this is not that, though. Oh, it's nice as well that the spectacles, a glass of water, a pen, and this notebook. So it's like the bedside table. That's pretty good. There's two copies of that, and there's one copy of Essence of the Dream. Intriguing. Okay, let's take a look, shall we, at Essence of the Dream. It's a skill card. It's got that, uh, you can't add this to your deck, symbol, where the XP area is filled in. And it's got two wild icons, art is something else. Ethan Patrick Harris, it's like the diary has exploded with things coming out of it. Wow. Practiced and expert, bonded dream diary. When essence of the dream would enter your discard pile or be shuffled into your deck, instead set essence of the dream aside out of play with your bonded cards. Hmm. Right, so you need to succeed by three or more and essence of the dream is giving you a plus two. And then if Essence of the Dream is about to go into your discard pile or somehow be shuffled into your deck, it just goes back to your bonded card area. There's a huge implication, the reason I'm pausing, there's an implication around what other bonded cards' wording is. Because for a cult lexicon, when a cult lexicon leaves play, you have to find three copies of Blood Rite and remove them from the game. It doesn't say return them to your bonded cards. And it might be that it should have this wording, find the three copies of Blood Rite and set them aside out of play brackets with your bonded cards. Or maybe Essence of the Dream likes to keep coming back to one's hand. But hmm, yeah, intriguing. I mean, that's a, I think that's a bit of a blind alley of a thought. I'll, I'll go and look at the rules once I've finished recording. So yeah, spending two to play the Dream Diary, then spending another action to get Essence of the Dream, which is a plus two, and then hoping to succeed by three. Succeed by three or more is somewhat tricky, I would argue. You'd like it then in a high intellect character if you're going to try and use your intellect to pass an easy investigation. Maybe you investigate a one-shroud location and you're Norman or Daisy or Mandy at five intellect, and that means this makes you a seven against one. Then even a minus four means you're... Passing by two, you need a minus three or better. Still still kind of kind of rough. So then maybe what you do is you try and stack this into a test that you're otherwise going big on to pass. So you maybe put in a deduction and an enraptured and there's something else and there's something else. Or you use this when you're trying to hit an enemy and you combine it with a daring or with an inquiring mind to guarantee that really big spike in hits. I can see that being useful feels a little bit action intensive to me at the moment, just on first blush. 
but that's probably because I find all of the translating and deciphering uh, side quest cards action intensive in solo. And maybe where this kind of thing shines is in multiplayer, where the seeker has enough time just to be spending actions to fetch this and things like that. If you're getting a lot of action efficiency as a seeker or someone else because you're getting clues testlessly or clue compression, which is saving you actions, maybe you've got the time to get Essence of the Dream into your hand and look for that easy test to pass. It's possible. And of course, we can't really say much more about this until we know what it means to have interpreted the dreams. So will shrewd analysis be worth it? Who are the really good targets for the card? Maybe Norman hates it because it's a level 3 seeker card that he can't take, or a level 4 seeker card, the, the upgraded version. So yeah, let's put that to one side. So seeker's only really getting a single card combined into two parts there. Rogue, the first card is followed. An incredible podcast, I think it's called Delve Too Deep? Hmm, Uncaged the Soul? I think it Ward of Protection? I think it's named after a, uh, a mystic event, but I can't remember what it's called. Anyway, they talked about this card, and it is followed! So this is a two-cost event, intellect and agility icons, no XP. It's a tactic, which means Mark can take it. Investigate, choose an enemy at your location. You get plus one intellect for this investigation for each damage on the chosen enemy to a maximum of plus five intellect. If you succeed, discover one additional clue at this location. This action does not provoke attacks of opportunity from the chosen enemy. We talked about it, so we've kind of covered it. A couple of things to clear up, though. You do need an enemy to choose to be able to trigger this card. Peter thought maybe you didn't, but I'm pretty sure you do, because the text that comes after the bold investigate isn't a result of the investigate. It It is modifying what's going on in the card. Um, I can't remember the exact rule reference, but there's a thing about abilities or things like that that says it's that. Otherwise, uh, a card that did extra damage wouldn't do extra damage because you'd do the fight and then you'd find out you did extra damage afterwards. It's that kind of thing. But this is still a two-cost event that gets you two clues. I think being able to spend two for a clue is pretty reasonable. So you think of working a hunch or intel report, pay two, get a clue. If you get another clue for that, you're, that's kind of, a, I think, at the right place. And I think it's in Rogue where they might have the, the economy to power things like this. The other thing I would touch on with this card is the big enemies that might take the damage. And I've been playing some Circle Undone, and of course you've got the Watcher cruising around as well, who you can rough up fairly well and is never going to leave. <laughs> so you can do a couple of damage to the Watcher and get plus two intellect. And then of course in Forgotten Age, it's the Harbinger with 10 to 40 health. So you could be slowly trying to drive the Harbinger away. And as you do that and pile damage on the Harbinger, Followed then gives you a bunch of a boost and you get to use your Followed Investigates without taking hits from the Harbinger, if you can then evade it and run away and generally run in fear. So I could imagine a turn where the Harbinger comes out, you hit the Harbinger for some damage, so it's just two damage, you play Followed and Investigate at plus two to get two clues on your location, and then you evade the Harbinger, and that's two resources placed on the Harbinger. If you're in solo, they've run away. If not, you can rinse and repeat the following turn. That feels pretty good. Like, I'm interested to try it. I'm really interested in, is it an agility-based card or is it a combat-based card, depending on how you split your investigators. Does someone like Mark or Leo love it, even though they can take Scene of the Crime, because it gives them a bit more flexibility about when they get their two clues? Or is it really someone like Wendy or Finn who likes it? Time will tell.
Ooh, the next card is our first XP card and it looks really good. That's got to be Tony. Has he shaved his head? Man, Pavel Kolomoyets. Pavel Kolomoyets. Uh, is he a new artist? Maybe. This is Momentum. One XP skill in the rogue class with one wild icon. Thinking of quick thinking and double or nothing straight away, of course. An opportunist. It's practiced. If this skill test is successful, reduce the difficulty of the next skill test you perform this phase by X, where X is the amount this skill test succeeded by, to a maximum of three. Oh, boy, oh boy. You've never been content with the safe route. The art is really good. Also would be amazing on a playmat, by the way. Looks just incredible. Guy leaping between roofs. Let's, let's go through this again. So you commit this for plus one and take a test. And if you succeed, you reduce the difficulty of the next skill test you perform this phase. So not the round, this phase. So you've got to, have, you've got to do this with at least an action spare. Uh, and you reduce it by the amount you succeeded by. So I chuck this in. Let's say I'm skids. I chuck this into evade. So I'm evading at five against a ghoul, five against two. And I draw a minus one. So four against two. I succeeded by two. My next test is two easier so good how much of a reduction do you want to get out of this card for your next test for it to be worthwhile if you get even a minus one then you're essentially getting momentum to both tests because the first test you put momentum in for a plus one and then you succeed by one so you get minus one to the next test which is the equivalent of putting in momentum pretty good like i'm smiling at the thought of that it's it's like an unexpected courage split over two tests seems okay I'm also then smiling, thinking about succeed by two, and I fight as Tony with the Derringer, so I'm at a seven. I chuck this in as an eight. Maybe I'm chucking in a quick thinking as well. I'm at nine. Pass, and it, like, <laughs> you know, even fighting a four four fight enemy, I might be getting a, a minus one or minus two to my next test. If I've killed the enemy, that makes my next investigate way easier, or my next you know, doing one of the tests in Unspeakable Oath, which I've been dying in a lot recently to try and find the way out, or doing any kind of other test, you know, do a willpower test on this location for X or Y, do an agility test to break down this door, whatever it is, you use your strong stat to leverage making the next test for your weaker stat better. Oh, pretty good, right? Pretty good? I think so. It's cool. Really feeds into chucking in a suite of cards as rogue and it's just another like it's another succeed by mechanic that feels like quite a nice one like even with daring move maneuver in hand if you have daring maneuver in hand and you take a test and you succeed by zero you chuck daring maneuver and you're essentially getting a plus two to the next test which is pretty good okay yeah the next card we're into mystics now we've only got three cards left i think i know all of them as well this is scroll of prophecies it's a three cost asset no xp one willpower icon it's item and tome traded so any seekers who have access to mystic assets such as norman or daisy could be taking research librarian to find this Marie might also want to take research librarian to find this or a cult lexicon maybe uses a hand slot it also uses four secrets. Action, spend a secret, choose an investigator at your location. That investigator draws three cards, then discards one card from their hand. So it was, and so it shall ever be. Hmm. I mean, kind of old book of law-ish. Old book of law is look at three cards, pick one to draw, shuffle the other two back in. This is 
look at three cards because you've drawn all three of them, and pick a card in your hand to discard. I think this is pretty good, and I think it's really useful to compare it with Old Book of Law, because there's it's more than just that you get two cards instead of one. There's other things going on with this card. Obviously, it's limited. There's only four secrets on it, so you can only use it four times in the way that Old Book of Law, you can use it from the turn you play it until the end of the game. However, you can also use this multiple times in a turn. Old Book of Law exhausts, and this doesn't. So if you've just been hit by an amnesia, or a teammate has been hit by something that's made them discard a load of cards, or they've just chucked a load of cards into Succeed by Two and drew a tentacle, you can spend actions to spend secrets to make them draw packets of cards. You can refill your hand in that way. So that's that's one thing. Second thing is that it doesn't help you avoid weaknesses in the way that Old Book of Law does. So when you look at the top three cards of your deck and you see two weaknesses and a card, with Old Book of Law, you get to pick the, the card and shuffle the weaknesses in, or pick the weakness that you can deal with in that moment. With this, you draw all three of those cards, you get hit by all of the effects of the weaknesses, and then you still have to find a card to discard. Not so good, bit nastier. So, And that, that's nice because mystics play with risk in the way that seekers might mitigate risk. So that, that feels thematic and I like it. And I think it will all depend on what kind of play you're trying to pull off. Finally, this discard a card from your hand ability, it doesn't have to be one of the three you just drew. So there is a hand filtering element to this. And I remember in the past that I've been quite pro that, being able to pick a card I don't really need or I'm not going to use the icons and chuck it. But I've noticed that when I talk about that and I say, that's okay, I don't mind discarding a card, you know, at least I'm looking, I'm filtering through my deck, I'm looking for other things. One of the easy criticisms of that is saying, well, what's in your deck that you don't like keeping all the cards? You know, what What is it about my play style that means I don't care too much if I chuck a card? And other people, I think, would say losing a card from hand is about the worst thing that can happen to you in this game because you've built a deck of 30 good cards and giving up any one of them is significant. So I need to check out my own attitude around discarding cards there. But compare that, say, to Bloodrite. Bloodrite is draw two cards, and then you can discard two cards from your hand to gain two resources or do two damage by spending two resources. That, for me, I think is a great deal. There is the same risk that you draw into a weakness, it hits you pretty bad, and then you also don't want to discard any of your cards for resources or damage. The resources thing I'm not so keen on anyway. But yeah, I still think that's strong. And I suppose another way of viewing this card would be to say that it says draw two, action draw two. You get to do that four times for three cost. That's okay. <laughs> you like That's good, I think. I like that. And because it's Mystic, it's you draw more, but then there's, you lose something. What kind of cards are there in Mystic that you don't mind losing? Well, you might be a Mystic splashing survivor and have cards that you don't mind putting in your discard pile, like winging it, impromptu barrier, improvised weapon maybe. You might be happy to discard things that you've already got in play that you don't want another version of. So say you've already got an arcane initiate down, or you've already got a unique ally that you're not going to kill anytime soon, you chuck that. Maybe also you're really set up for spells and you don't need your duplicate copies of spells, although I'd always be wary of that because what if my spell runs out of charges? But maybe you are kind of, you're running two of all of the key pieces of your deck, but you only ever need one of each of them in play. So all of the second ones you can then discard to this. Seems seems pretty good. Or maybe you're just doing something where you just need a, a full hand. So spending three actions to draw nine and discard three, so ending up with plus six. Like, that still feels powerful. Yeah, 
I like it. I think the other thing I like about Scroll of Prophecies is for is for the things that you can't predict for. Someone enters a location that says, when you enter this location, discard three cards from your hand. And then they're really hurting. And the player who's got Scroll of, Pro- Scroll of Prophecies down just goes up and spends a couple of actions to get them to draw six and discard two. And they've suddenly refilled their hand a bit and everything is a little bit more on track. That that feels good. I was playing Mandy yesterday and finding that depending on how far into my deck I was, I was changing how I was using Rook. So early on I was using Rook Search 12, Pick 1, and maybe still hitting a Research card, maybe hitting a Weakness 2. But later in the game I was going into Search 9, Pick 2. So I'd hit a Research and get two cards. So then Rook, rook Draws become really potent because my deck was smaller So I wasn't looking necessarily for particular pieces. I was just looking to refill my hand. Having that ability on tap, quick, refill your hand, here you go. It's good. Have I gone on too long about the Scroll of Prophecies? Is it a good card? I think so. Let me know. Do you think discarding a card out of the hand as a cost for some other bonus is really bad? Or is it something that you think, yeah, I can see times when I do that? Am I insane for thinking that it's okay to cycle your deck? I think it's fine. Okay, the next card is Read the Signs. Uh, Man from Lang, the Whisper in Darkness, got to announce this card. It's pretty good. Two-cost event, Mystic, no XP, willpower and intellect icons. It's a spell, so you can find it with Arcane Initiate. You could also make it cheaper with Uncage the Soul. Investigate, add your willpower value to your skill value for this investigation. So it's not willpower replacement, it's willpower combination. You may ignore any effect or keyword on your location which would trigger during this investigation. Say there's a haunted effect? If you succeed, discover one additional clue at this location. A grisly future is laid before you. Do you turn away or do you embrace it? Now, when this card was announced, there was a lot of discussion. What qualifies as effects or keywords on locations during an investigation? And I don't know. So, for instance, If a location says, as an additional cost to investigate this location, spend an action, you have to pay costs before you're even playing this card. Like, you pay two and you also pay the additional action. So that isn't during this investigation, it's to trigger the investigation. So I'm not sure if it works then. Similarly, effects that say something like, after you investigate this location... I'm not sure if they count as during the investigation. Normally those sorts of forced effects... After you successfully investigate this location, take a damage, say. That would be at step six, you successfully investigate. Step seven, you get the clue. And step seven, you take the damage. And then step eight, the skill test ends, the investigation ends. So is it still during the investigation, even though it's an after effect? Maybe. I don't know. I think when we get clarification, we can decide what value this card has. But it's worth comparing it to followed. They're both two cost events. They're both at level zero. They're both investigates. This one doesn't ignore attacks of opportunity. They both get you two clues, which is good. This one gives you a bonus, but the bonus, you already know what it's going to be. You don't have to wait for an enemy and then damage that enemy. You just get to add your willpower. So Daisy investigates at an eight with this, Norman at a nine. Some mystics, you have someone like Agnes investigating at seven, Akachi investigating at seven, pretty good. Like, to pay two and get that big a boost means you're probably going to pass. Worth noting as well, you can't then chuck willpower icons in. You're still chucking intellect icons in. I kind of like it in Luke, where you can play this to investigate somewhere else and get two clues uh, and an adjacent location, because he gets that 
event ability. And if you're boosting his willpower for combat or other things, and you're boosting his intellect for clues, like this could easily be a pay to investigate at 10. It becomes then a kind of like one shot lockpicks for a couple of clues. Slightly weaker in solo, I'd say, in that it's two costs, so that's, that's pretty pricey, and two clue locations are less common, but still nice. There's an elephant in the room, though, and we should go there. There's another mystic event that only costs zero, doesn't include a test, and gets you two clues. For the life of me, I can't remember its name, but like I can remember that effect, and comparatively, I would argue that that other card is stronger than this one. But there's a lot of unknowns with the other card that there aren't with this one. This one, you know the test you're going to take, and all you need to know is about whether you can get around the worst excesses of the Chaos Bag. Similarly, you know that you're turning off negative effects with Read the Signs in the way that you don't with that other card. You could be drawing yourself into a world of trouble. So... I end up with a slight cautiousness in how I play when I play that other card. Do I want to do it early in the turn so people can rescue me? Or do I do it as my last action so that then the fighter goes after me in case I've got into trouble? All of that kind of thing. Can I take damage and horror if that's what's being dealt to me as a result of getting these clues? But I can get around high shroud or locations that, you know, conventional investigation just won't get me around. Swings and roundabouts, I guess is what I'm saying. Maybe what we'll see is that anyone who's using mystic events for clues runs two of Read the Signs and one of the other card, or vice versa, and you have a little bit of a flexibility there. And that makes me think of Seth, that Seth investigates at a six with this, and if you're doing mystic Seth, maybe you do want to be able to paint this and paint that other card. You maybe want to paint a followed as well. You could have a really like mystic rogue clue Seth as a way forwards, and that would be a fun way to play. Yeah, that's kind of cool. I guess Norman and Daisy might not like this because they have access to Seeker Clue Acceleration. Norman in particular, it would be one of his five Mystic cards, sorry, at level zero, and it's sort of doing things that he can already do, so maybe he's not as keen on it. But again, the big theme at the moment is how the factions are rounding out the options and how we get a chance to pick and choose, and then it's really about those final tweaks to decks where you go, I have three slots here for like alternative clue acquisition. I'm going to run one read the signs and one winging it or two scene of the crime and one read the signs or whatever it is. And you end up with this thing that's all about how your deck wants to run and how finely tuned your deck will be. And I like that. And we're up to the last card. It's our other XP card. It's another card I know. It's Jessica Hyde. Subtitled Wrong Place, Wrong Time, Jessica you could have thought a bit more carefully about where you were going and when you would arrive. It's a three-cost event. <laughs> it's a three-cost event that is an asset. It's got one XP, and it's got a combat icon. Ally, Wayfarer, and Cursed takes up the ally slot. Three health and one sanity. I warned you to stay away from me. Now we're both in this together. Because what you don't know about Jessica is that her body is covered in superglue, and when you end up to hug her, stuck. That is one of the risks with Jessica. Very sticky. Okay, you get plus one combat when Jessica's in play. Jessica Hyde enters play with two damage on her. Reaction, after your turn ends, heal one damage from Jessica Hyde. Have you ever heard of another tricky customer, Peter Sylvester, the big man on campus, aka BMOC, aka Peter? Yeah, pretty good. 
pretty much the inverse of this card, but without that ability to enter play with horror on him. I know people are excited about this card as a Calvin card, where you get Charisma, Jessica, and Peter, and you have a way of overflowing any damage and horror you need to overflow onto two unlimited soaks. It's pretty good. I've wondered about this card in Tommy, where it comes into play with two damage already on it, and so then a single horror or damage means that you then get four ammo on Becky. Kind of okay, but you're still you're paying three for four ammo. It's maybe not that handy. And maybe you can do the same thing in Guardian with a Beat Cop and have an extra ability with the Beat Cop level two, maybe. I mean, I think I'm slightly hedging around this, but I think Jessica is really good. I think she falls directly between Big Man on Campus Zero and Big Man on Campus Level 2, who has two stat boosts. And I think the fact that she enters play with two damage on her and then needs to heal up before you can start using her is a very good thing, partly because it means she's not identical to the Big Man on Campus, and partly because I think maybe it's a bit more balanced. Big Man on Campus is one of the most powerful cards in the game, a three-cost, two-XP asset that gives you two stat boosts and can heal horror regularly for the rest of the game from the off is incredible you know and and both healing damage and healing horror indefinitely means that there are certain cards that you can just entirely ignore because you have to take a horror at the end of your turn you know Rougarou if you didn't do damage take a horror at the end of your turn I don't think it's a direct horror so with big man on campus you just don't care you just keep putting it on the big man on campus and healing it again that's amazing and Jessica fills that out the idea that you'd have 6 XP, 2 Jessica, 2 Big Man on campus, you'd be getting plus 1 willpower, plus 1 agility, and plus 1 combat, and could heal damage and horror for days. Like, it's pretty heady, right? It's enticing. I also think, like, Yorick maybe likes Jessica Hyde. He likes Beat Cop as well, but being able to replay Jessica at reduced cost from his discard pile is pretty good, and having that combat boost is no bad thing. Who else can take Jessica? Silas might like Jessica if you're doing a combat Silas. He doesn't really care about taking damage, though. He probably prefers Big Man on Campus to shore up his sanity. Uh, Wendy, I don't think, cares for Jessica because, I mean, it does double her combat, but it's still not really getting you anywhere decent. And who else? Min? No, I don't think so. I'm just thinking of Survivor off-classes here. Yeah, I think she's good. Like, I think she's really good. I'd love to know who you think she fits really well in and why and if you're excited to play her or not. That takes us to the end of the player cards for The Search for Kadath. Spoiler, I found them. I'm sorry, that's such a bad... It's not even a joke, is it? It's just like a weird comment. But there we go. I hope you've enjoyed this. I hope you're excited to be back first looking with me. Let me know your favourite card in the pack if you want to, and you can email us at drawntotheflamepodcast at gmail.com. We're also Drawn to the Flame on Facebook and Twitter. And you can also find me on Instagram. I'm F-E-B, that's E-P-H-Y-B-E-E, and on Twitter as F-B, that's E-P-H underscore B-E-E, or online as Zooey Glass or Zozo. I'm on the Mythos Buster Discord. I'm on the, the Drawn to the Flame Discord, surprisingly. So yeah, come say hi. Tell me about the cards. Tell me what you think. Always appreciate talking about the game. And remember that we've got a couple of competitions running. So if you check out our previous episode, episode 142, we we have a competition where you can enter to win the entirety of the Forgotten Age. So if you're new to Drawn to the Flame and new to Arkham Horror, that's maybe worth checking out. Be in it to win it and get yourself a load of loot. Thanks very much for listening. Bye.